This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The Portland metro area is in the midst of an ongoing gun violence crisis, and homicides are already on pace to eclipse last year's record in the city. But there's another crisis that claimed more lives in Portland and Multnomah County last year that doesn't get as much attention. Fentanyl overdoses. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, Maxine Bernstein, who's covered cops and courts for the Oregonian and Oregon Live for more than two decades. We talked about her recent deep dive into fentanyl, what fentanyl is, where it comes from, the two Northeast Portland teens who died earlier this year, and what their parents have to say, and how social media, as with any other part of our society, is playing a major role. Here's our conversation. Maxine Bernstein, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. So Max, we've had such a challenging few years in the Portland area, in particular with gun violence, and we've talked about that quite a bit. But you recently took a deeper look into a a drug many people are likely becoming more and more familiar with. Why do you want to look into fentanyl? Um, because I, uh, yeah, covering federal court, I'm, I'm seeing uh, case after case involving uh, alleged distribution of fentanyl, and it's taken over uh, past cases of meth and heroin distribution, and also the back-to-back accidental overdose deaths of two Portland high school students in March um, at one 16 and the other was 17 years old from the same high school really uh, brought this issue to the forefront. Uh, So that was part of the reason. Yeah. And we'll talk about Olivia Coleman and Griffin Hoffman a little bit later because you wrote a really heart-wrenching stories about about those two. But I guess, can we get to the very elemental, what is fentanyl? I think a lot of people might not really have any idea what it is. Sure. It's a synthetic opioid. And uh, it was initially approved years ago for medical use as a surgical anesthetic, uh, mostly for people with chronic pain and typically uh, cancer patients. And opioids includes morphine or oxycodone or heroin. But unlike those opioids, fentanyl doesn't come from an opium poppy. So it's a synthetic product, meaning in its form through chemical process. It's not derived from plants. That means it can be produced quickly. And, uh, there's, uh, you know, a unlimited supply of it. And it is more powerful than morphine or heroin. Uh, It's been said that it's 50 to 100 times stronger than morphine. Um, And just a tiny amount can be lethal. And again, so this was originally intended to be useful in a pain medication uh, setting. And like you said, for people who might be in a lot of pain, like um, like cancer patients. Correct. 
So when did it make the leap from that world to the streets, so to speak? And where are people making fentanyl and how's, how's it coming <laughs> to, to Oregon? Sure. Fentanyl uh, is said to have been introduced into the illicit drug supply in the early um, 2010s. And it's easily uh, distributed through social media forums such as Snapchat or Telegram have made the these pills um, that are made with fentanyl. Fentanyl is pressed into what looks like prescription pills, but they're sold as Oxycontin or uh, Xanax or Percocet. But often these pills are counterfeit, uh, the ones that are sold on the street and not prescribed and are more uh, frequently being made with fentanyl because it's so cheap to produce. So that's a major factor uh, leading to these fentanyl debts is the fraudulent way that they're marketed and sold. People don't know what they're getting. They don't know what they're taking. Mm-hmm. And it's showing up not only in these counterfeit pills, but it's also being mixed with heroin and cocaine. DEA and narcotics enforcement investigators says the bulk of uh, fentanyls coming in from the, the precursor chemicals are coming from China uh, into Mexico. And that's where the illicit fentanyl is being pressed into these fake pills and then transported up the West Coast and into the U.S. by bus, by car, by truck, uh, even by mail, uh, all the way up uh, through the U.S. into Canada. Yeah, so it's a it's a global operation in terms of uh, you know th- it has its roots, like you said, in China and Mexico, and then you know that's how it comes into the country. Right. So you know covering public safety, you know, law enforcement, uh, as you have for for so long, I mean, there's so many photos of that law enforcement agencies put out and and when they're making a drug bust, and you know, might have been marijuana in the 90s. um, You know, whether there's a lot of guns that are seized, um, we're used to these kind of staged photos. But some of the seizure figures that and the photos of these fentanyl pills, the counterfeit pills, you mentioned that are being um, shared across the digital transom on our flash alert system are pretty staggering. We're talking hundreds of thousands of pills, right? Sure. So earlier this year, uh, narcotics agents seized about 150,000 counterfeit oxycodone pills made with fentanyl, uh, plus about 20 pounds of fentanyl powder uh, in what they said or what they believe was the biggest seizure of the drug in Oregon's history. And then... um, the there's a multi-agency law enforcement task force called the Oregon Idaho High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area Program, and they reported that last year uh, their officers seized 1.5 million counterfeit pills made with fentanyl, which was a 51% increase from 2020 and a 137% increase from the year before 2019. It's truly, truly staggering um, figures. And and that actually is correlating in the number of overdose deaths as well, right? In terms of, um, you know, you mentioned that this is a deadlier or potentially more lethal 
um, drug, and that that has shown up in the overdose figures, both in in Oregon and in Multnomah County. Yes. So in Multnomah County, uh, 73 people died of fentanyl overdoses, uh, including two under the age of 18 in 2020, according to the county's health officer. And that number jumped to 139 people just in the first nine months of last year, uh, of which four were under the age of 18. And in Oregon, as elsewhere, teen overdose deaths have spiked in the last two years, largely uh, the result of fentanyl, even though teen drug use in general has been falling, according to national studies. I want to just kind of linger on those figures for a minute, Max. I mean, 139 people in in Multnomah County in the first nine months of of last year. You know, I don't have the county homicide figures off the top of my head. That seems to be dramatically higher than the number of people who died uh, in gun violence in in, uh, in in Multnomah County last year. Yeah, it's pretty staggering, and and I I know that the families that are impacted by this are really trying to educate the community, educate uh, the public, and trying to get this awareness about the danger of fentanyl more prominent uh, in our school system and uh, among our educators. Well, that's a good transition to talk about Olivia Coleman and, and Griffin Hoffman. Let's start with Olivia. Can you just paint a little portrait of her life and how ultimately fentanyl came into her life? Sure. Uh, so Olivia Coleman was a, a junior at McDaniel High School in Portland. She uh, spoke with her mother and father. Uh, you know, she, she was uh, she j- had just turned 17 this January and she was found she was found dead in her bedroom on March 6. Um, she was uh, a student who dreamed of becoming a child psychologist someday, was really fond of children and often babysat her cousins. She apparently thought she was taking oxycodone. Um, mm-hmm. And however, the autopsy showed that she died of fentanyl poisoning. And they found her about... 10:30 in the morning in her room and this was a girl who had struggled with anxiety and substance abuse that parents knew about and they had been trying to get her into treatment and uh she was in substance abuse counseling and had been in the last four months of her life but uh and those were mostly zoom-based substance abuse group sessions and one-on-one counseling several days a week, her mother said. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was just, you know, it's crushing to, to this family. The mom said Olivia had a lot she was looking forward to. It was before spring break. She was hoping to see one of her best friends who had moved away, was expecting to visit. So this is not something that was intended her mom said they, they knew in the past that she had used Snapchat to try to uh, order pills like oxycodone and someone uh, had driven up to their house and uh, had sold her pills in the past. And they even considered someone had uh, suggested to her mother, you know, that they put out cameras outside the house. And they didn't, they weren't about to go that, do that. But 
uh, now they're, you know, they're, they're struggling and hoping to learn who may have sold her the pills that were deadly. And uh, like you said, she, she's a, a young woman who, who's honest with her parents about her struggles and about how she obtained these um, illicit drugs in the past and, and still um, ultimately it was, uh, they couldn't prevent it. They sensed their daughter was suffering setbacks and they wondered, you know, what they could have said or done to make a difference. They considered inpatient residential treatment for her, but said there was at least a two month wait list before she'd be accepted. And what about Griffin Hoffman? Can you uh, talk about his life and and your story on him? Sure. Griffin uh, turned 16 in February. He was a sophomore at McDaniel High School and a star tennis player on the varsity team. He just went out one night with his friends to the movies. And uh, the next morning, uh, it was March 7th, the day after Olivia Coleman's death, he was found at his desk uh, with his earbuds still in and his laptop open and uh, he couldn't be revived. And his mom said her son, you know, may have experimented with marijuana, but um, uh, they found also the investigators called to the home found remnants of a blue fake pill and it turned out to be fentanyl that he died of as a result of that back-to-back deaths of these two students Mm -hmm. from the same school led uh, detectives to immediately go to the school and and pull out uh, the friends of Griffin who went with him to the movies the night before and you know just also to alert students of this danger uh, hoping that, you know, others hadn't taken these pills and also trying to figure out where they came from. He hoped to one day, you know, win a scholarship to play tennis in college. He played from a young age at the Portland Tennis Center. Uh, there was a memorial that either the next day or the, a couple of nights later at the tennis courts right beside the school where he competed. When you talk to these families, just obviously just pulverized by grief, but like, what do they hope that other parents of teenagers, like, I mean, any lessons to be gleaned from this? Because it just seems, you know, you're a parent of of teenagers. I mean, this just seems so terrifying. Added to everything else that you're dealing with as a parent um, to, to have to worry about this. Yeah, I think, um, you know, they want to make sure kids know that this anything, you know, a small, you shouldn't be taking any pill that is not prescribed by your doctor. Uh, you know, I think a lot of teens, I have two teenage boys, that it's a period of experimenting as much as I might want to and try to drum into them the danger of this, uh, you know, I, I I was reporting all through this and I'm reporting from home. And so the, every time I would get off, uh, finish an interview with a distraught parent, you know, I'd, I'd unfortunately be in my own teenage boys' faces uh, explaining to them what I've learned and what happened to these other kids. And, you know, I hope it makes a difference. I hope I'm not, I hope. It makes a difference, but, you know, there's only so much. But 
you know, I think a lot of teens think they can trust their friends at this point. And that was one of these parents' lessons that, no, you, you, you can't even trust your friends. I mean, whatever, you know, you think you're getting a pill from a friend that it's, it is what they say it is, no, because no one knows what's in these pills. Only uh, you should only be taking prescription pills that you get from a pharmacy that's prescribed by a doctor. I know that there's, um, you know, that's probably how a lot of kids experiment with drugs in the first place is maybe you have a friend who has an injury who has some of these pills and maybe that's your entree into that world. But uh, obviously that has pitfalls that expand to the social media realm and everything beyond that. Right. And and one of the, the lead federal drug prosecutor in Oregon, Steve Migrant, said, you know, he suspects that teens are gravitating to these pills because they they may carry less of a stigma. There's not the intravenous drug use um, with other drugs. And it's so easily it's marketed on social media that teens are are, you know, have their faces faces in. Um, but uh, that's why it is so important to educate these youth. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk just a bit more with Maxine Bernstein. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. So Max, you talked about prosecuting these cases a little bit and given kind of everything that we've talked about with how the drugs are maybe originating overseas and on social media, it's, that seems like quite a challenge. What are some of the challenges in terms of prosecuting these cases um, that you've heard from uh, people in law enforcement and, and, uh, and in the legal world? A lot of it is trying to prove, you know, exactly who provided the deadly pill to uh, the deceased and, uh, and their intent and, um, were they aware of the uh, ingredients of what they sold to whoever they sold it to? There's federal law enforcement agencies are working with local police mm -hmm. to try to intercept the the supply of these pills, and they're trying to to intercept it and cut off the distribution of fentanyl. Uh, but it's it's so large a problem that, you know, they recognize that whatever they're doing can make a dent, but it's not going to it's not going to eradicate the 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 drug. You reported on, you know, trying to track down where where people might have received drugs in some of these fatal instances that brings up the story of Wade May. Right, because this is kind of the circumstances surrounding his fatal overdose of fentanyl. Where did he get the pills, and what what do we know about the the person who is implicated in that? So Wade May was a uh, thirty seven year old man who lived in North Plains, and one night uh, in late September twenty twenty, 
He was found uh, in his home suffering from what his friends suspected was an overdose. And he was rushed to the hospital and he died the next morning from what turned out to be a fentanyl overdose. His family flew in from out of state and uh, really his mom was uh, worked herself to try to locate the friends who were with him, try to understand and find out who supplied the pills that he had taken or one pill that he had taken and tried to share that with law enforcement. And what they learned was that uh, this man who was prosecuted, his name was Brandon Kingsley Jones, um, that he was the like second removed source of supply to Wade May, that he had given it to someone else who had handed it, sold it to May. And yet, Brad, this man, Bradley Jones, had uh, previously been tied by law enforcement uh, at least four months earlier to a, another overdose death of a Washington County man. He was on their radar. They had questioned and interviewed him months earlier, told him that they suspected he his sale of fentanyl to another man uh, then uh, had led to his death and they made him aware they were continuing to investigate. And apparently he continued to sell and his drugs suspected of leading to the death of Wade May in late September. So Jones was prosecuted in the initial mm-hmm. overdose death and for distribution of these pills and, and law enforcement uh, set up surveillance of him and they found him, you know, just meeting a guy in the parking lot of a 7-Eleven in Northeast Portland where, you know, he parked his car and gets out and uh, goes up to the window of this other car and sells the pills. And that led that night to a different Washington County man's death, 31-year-old. Uh, wasn't identified in court by name, but uh, Jones got like six and a half years in federal prison hmm. um, for in that case. So when you think of, you look at just kind of the scale of this issue, and it's got tentacles both in the digital world and, you know, outside the state that are really hard factors for us to control. <laughs> what, what other takeaways do you have for for people reading your work? I mean, what, what would you want people to be thinking about? I guess the biggest takeaway is uh, education and educating uh, everyone, you know, from youth to young adults, uh, not to take anything that's not prescribed because you don't know what's in it. The person on the street selling it doesn't know what's in it. Yes, there are these test strips for fentanyl that can detect if uh, there might be fentanyl in one pill, but just because it shows there's not fentanyl in, in one pill doesn't doesn't show that there isn't fentanyl in the rest of that batch or a different part of the pill. Um, so those aren't foolproof. Uh, it's better. Um, and now the schools, at least Portland Public Schools, and I know other districts are, are um, distributing uh, Narcan or 
It's a medication, an overdose, uh, like reverser medication that's important to try to uh, prevent these Mm -hmm. deaths. And police also, Portland police are distributing it to all patrol officers. But, you know, the, the main takeaway is you don't know what you're taking. Just you shouldn't be taking any pills that are not prescribed by your doctor. What's the response been like um, to, you know, your stories about um, about Olivia Coleman and Griffin Hoffman and then your your recent piece on kind of the scale of this issue? You know, because we people in the newsroom are reporting on gun violence a lot. I'm curious what the feedback are you hearing from people who who've lost loved ones or who are dealing with kind of the education challenge that you're talking about? Yeah, I'm hearing from other other parents or grandparents who've lost people and who've lost people in Oregon. Um, there's a national fentanyl awareness day coming up on May 10th. Some nonprofit agencies and family organizations and others, uh, working to get the word out of the danger of this drug. Um, so yeah, I've heard, um, you know, appreciation for helping to educate the public about the problems. Um, you know, I rode a week or so ago with officers from the uh, Central Precinct Bike Patrol who patrol largely the city's Old Town neighborhood. And, you know, those officers said, you know, even just a year ago, they'd see black tar heroin or methamphetamine, but now, uh, fairly everyone that they arrest, they find, you know, stuck in their pockets or their bags, this crumpled up tin foil, which is holding the residue of blue fake counterfeit pills of fentanyl that they smoke and inhale. And uh, that's the number one problem. But even if they find a small amount of the drug, they can issue a citation so they issue a citation and on the back of the citation is a card with, um, you know, a number that they can reach to get a free health screening, but they're issuing it over and over to the, to a lot, a lot of the same people. Um, so they're frustrated. And this is a result of the, uh, photo approved measure 110. I believe it is partly a, a result of that because uh, this is small user amounts that don't uh, amount to a criminal charge. Thank you for all of your reporting to, to highlight this really terrifying issue and um, for taking time to talk about it. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with you, Oregonian. I shared links to some of Max's recent stories about fentanyl, including her profiles of the two McDaniel High School students who overdosed in the episode notes. May 10th is the first ever National Fentanyl Awareness Day. To find out more information about how to educate yourself and your family, or to learn more about this crisis, go to www.fentanylawarenessday.org. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.